A house is made of wood and stone, but only love can make a home. Welcome to the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, helping you make your home into one you'll love even more. On News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. Good morning, everybody. Happy Saturday. Happy, Happy Saturday. Saturday. Haley, you beat me to the punch. Sorry. You stole <laughs> my thunder. I'm just so excited about tulip time. I want to start talking about the tulips. You just want to, but but I just have a thing that chase. I do, and and that thing right, yeah. is what gets me going and and gets the whole thing. You just ruined your mojo. You did. You killed my mojo. The whole show <laughs> is going to stink now. Mojo Jojo. Yeah. So anyway, whatever we were saying, it's tulip time. I don't even know where we're going anymore. It's tulip time. We're this is my first tulip time. It's Haley's first tulip time. I'm we're excited for the carnival part. The elephant ears. Yeah. I'm not excited for the restraint of not picking the tulips. Right, because that's a thing for you. Yeah, I really like picking flowers, and I know that I'm not allowed to. You know why? Why do you know? Because I thought about it. And who told you not to? I had the instinct first that it was a bad idea. I said, well, these Holland people, they might not like me picking the flowers. (laughs) And so I came in and said, can I pick the flowers? You said, absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) Right. No, I have been raised... With, I mean, the the fear has been driven into me that mm-hmm. you don't do that. I don't even know what happens. Well, I don't think it's pretty. It's similar to the Ottoman Empire that we're going to talk about. W- w- okay, so yes, yeah. so we decided to celebrate tulip time by throwing a spotlight on tulips, tulip bulbs, their history, and all of that. Mm-hmm. And it was Haley's idea, and you wanted to start with the origins of it. Yeah. So we're going to just jump straight into the show. We got other good stuff coming. Don't worry about it. She can't have killed my mojo bad enough because I am full of mojo. <laughs> so the little bit you did, it's not going to hurt the rest of the good. show. I'm Trust so glad. Me, it's good. But the origins, they started in such a weird place. They were a wildflower. They grew in Central Asia, in Persia, around 1080 is the earliest that we know they were mm-hmm. around. Um, but yeah, just growing on the side of the road, or well, I guess maybe not road, but... <laughs> Just a wildflower. Just being cute all on their own. Never would have pictured that. I always picture the pristine fields. Yeah, because we know tulips as being cultivated flowers. So I thought that was really interesting. And then they transitioned from there... To Turkey. Right. Yeah, the Turks fell in love with the tulip, and they were the ones that really started cultivating it as this pristine flower that it is today. And that was in like the 16th century Ottoman Empire. The Sultan was so obsessed with tulips that if you tried to take tulips outside of the capital, you were punished by exile. I wonder what he did if you picked them. Right. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Maybe that's where we got our ideas for the rules. I don't think it's far off. It seems like <laughs> tulips inspire that kind of craziness. Yeah, because mm-hmm. it just keeps going. Well, so because then yeah. they finally actually get taken out of Turkey. Um, there was a guy who had a friend that was working in Turkey at the time. He came back to Vienna. About what time is this? Um, this is in like the 1600s. Okay. Early 1500s, I guess. All right. Um, but he gets a hold of a tulip and then he actually starts cultivating it in... Leiden, Netherlands, Mm -hmm. because he's working at essentially the botanical gardens there. Mm -hmm. But that's where he started cultivating these tulips. For medicinal purposes, they found out that it actually is good for skin. It's also a diuretic, an antiseptic. Don't try it at home because you don't know. You might have an allergy to it. Yeah, my dad (laughs) built a a little fort out of poison sumac when he was little. Hmm. And we have great photos where we got photos from the day he built it. Uh And then the day after when he swelled up like a balloon. 
Wow. So we don't want that no. with tulips. So don't go rubbing them all over your face. Don't do that. But eventually, I don't know exactly how it caught on as a mania, but tulips were the thing in the Netherlands once this guy started cultivating them. And it took off so much that they were worth more than a house at right, the some actual, points. Like a single bulb right. could be worth more than a house. They became a collector's item. They traded them as currency, essentially, because they were so valuable. And all of these really rare breeds of tulips were even more valuable. So it was this like high society way of... it's. Like art collecting. It's very strange to think of it being that valuable. Mm-hmm. But yet, what I found, it made them even more valuable than that. Yes, life-saving. Life-saving, actually. In World War II, they were actually eaten. Basically, the winter of 1944 to 1945, German troops were still occupying the Netherlands. And the railway workers and the Dutch government in exile kind of worked together, collaborated to come up with a scheme, basically, or whatever, a plan to have a railroad strike. And that would prevent the German troops from sure. being transported all okay. over the place. That was the idea, to slow it down. Mm-hmm. Well, Stand in their way. didn't like that, of course. of course. So they halted supplies into the Western Netherlands. Now, to make things worse, right around that time, December of 1944, cold weather sets in that lasts several months. Canals freeze over, transportation and escape becomes impossible. Yikes, and there's no food. No food. You've got all of this going on. Well, the combination of harsh, prolonged winter and a limited food supply sends the country into a severe famine, and it's actually known as the hunger winter. The hunger. Yeah, there's a there's a Dutch word for it that I couldn't say, but okay. the translation is the hunger winter. Starvation becomes extremely common, and over 4.5 million people are affected. More than 22,000 die. Jeez. Enter an unlikely hero, the tulip bulb. See, the war had slowed down all the farming and the growing of them. So they weren't yeah, being no one planted. Yeah, no cares about yeah. tulips when there's well, a war. And, and the, the, the young men were gone. Right. So there's nobody to plant the tulips. And so we've got barns and barns full of them. They're rotting. They're starting to dehydrate and all of those things. But they're still potentially edible. Somewhere, somebody looked at them and said, you know what? It looks kinda, kind of like an onion. looks like an onion. Kind of looks like a potato, comes out of the ground. Maybe we can eat it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that part worked, but I do know that at one point that winter, the Dutch government, actually the Office of Food Supply, published a guide suggesting that tulip bulbs are a food source and explained how to prepare them and even offered a few recipes for the housewives who are trying to wow. crank out something delicious. I would love delicious. to see this cookbook. I know. I, I can't imagine. Makes yeah. me kind of want to try a tulip bulb, but I also, well, you said. Yeah, here's the thing. They have almost no nutritional value, so right. you're not getting much out of it. But they also contain glycoside, which is bad. potentially poisonous. <laughs> so there <laughs> are I concerns. Try right. it. But the Dutch had no choice at that point. So properly preparing them. You know, removing the parts that contain the glycoside, they cooked them and ate them like potatoes. And even more commonly, they milled the bulbs to make a sort of flour that they used for bread. Mm-hmm. Now, eventually in 1945, the Allies started dropping supplies back in. And okay, so they the, didn't need them as much. The emergency kind of faded and the tulip bulbs didn't need to be eaten anymore. But they did save the day over that 
time period, that gap. That's pretty cool, actually. Right. They, it's estimated that about 140 million bulbs were eaten throughout that time. Holy cow. <laughs> now, what makes this really interesting, and I'll go really fast, is what came out of it medically speaking. See, at this point, a doctor in the Netherlands, Dr. Willem Carroll Dick, works at Juliana Children's Hospital in the city of The Hague. All right? Okay. He's got a large number of children patients with celiac disease. Hmm. And at that point, there was no real consensus as to the causes of celiac disease. Dr. Dick, though, believed that wheat was a main offender, but he didn't have any proof. So when the hunger winter hits, starving conditions begin to impact all of his patients. Right. And he notices that even with low food rations... They're improving? Yes, his celiac patients are. Everybody else is degrading. Right. These are improving, these patients. And when they bring in the, the bread made with tulip flour... They all improved dramatically. In fact, I believe I read that the uh, mortality rate of the celiac patients in his hospital went from 35% to nearly zero. Whoa. The, all because they were eating this bread without bread. any wheat in it. <laughs> and after the war, uh, Dr. Dick spends a number of years studying all of this. And in 1950, publishes his findings that wheat and rye flour aggravate celiac symptoms. And he also was able to discount the theory that complex carbohydrates were the cause. So with the help of all these other doctors and researchers and this hunger winter mm-hmm. and, the and the tulip flour, he's able to pinpoint gluten is the ultimate culprit in the whole thing. Wow. And all kinds of good things happen because of it. So thank you, (laughs) Tulips. Now, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Kelly Karp from Landscape Design Services about outdoor living spaces. Yeah. That's all coming up next. Stay tuned. Helping you turn your house into your dream home. This is the Repco Light Home Improvement Show, presented by Benjamin Moore on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. And we're back, and with the weather getting nicer and nicer, we're all starting to look at the outdoors and at, you know, I'm looking at my yard, getting that all ready to go. Mm-hmm. And the big thing that I really miss at the house I'm at right now, and I've never had, is a great outdoor space. I've got a great yard, but I don't have that dedicated space that just feels like a great place to kick back and relax. Hang out, yeah. Yeah, all I have are areas that need a little bit more work. You know, every little spot I look at needs a little more work. But I know that we all, most of us anyway, look at outdoor spaces. We see them in magazines, Instagram, Mm -hmm. social media is full of everybody has wonderful, it seems. Yeah, beautiful, entertaining spaces, outdoor kitchens. and A lot of us want them. A lot of us seem to have them, but the people I know don't. (laughs) So I want to help us get at least a step up. You know, it's the time of year. We want to get working out there. And so we decided we're going to go to the experts. We're on the phone right now with Kelly Karp. Landscape designer from Landscape Design Services. Kelly, thanks for taking time to talk with us today. Hi, guys. Thanks a lot for having us. We appreciate it. No, we're excited to talk about it. And I guess before we get into the whole outdoor spaces thing, and, you know, we've got some questions for you and some things we want to dig into, why don't you just introduce Landscape Design Services to our listeners? What do you guys do? What do you specialize in? All of that stuff. Yeah, so our company we kind of call ourselves the creators of cool spaces. We just bring fun and excitement to West Michigan homes, businesses, and properties. Wow. It doesn't matter what your house looks like. When you do a landscape project, it really enhances and makes things look great. So that's that's the fun part of our job, just to be creative, yeah. get to meet with different people and come up with ideas and 
yeah, just create great family moments and entertaining spaces for people. Now, you guys will actually design the spaces. I mean, you do all of that, right? You you will help us with everything from materials to recommendations about the plants we use to helping us lay out, you know, what's going to be the best format for how we're going to create the space, right? Yeah, exactly. So what what we usually do is we'll come out and take a look at your site, kind of walk through the space with you, listen to what your ideas are, mm-hmm. and then we'll go back to the office and put together a design, kind of a roadmap of where this thing is going to go. And then when that design gets completed, we'll meet up again at the site or at our office and review that plan. And that's when the homeowners or the property owners can kind of interject with us, tell us what ideas they like, what things they'd like to make adjustments to, and then we can continue through the design process to a final plan. All right. So do you do, I mean, give me just a quick idea. This isn't what we were going to talk about, but I'm curious now, the range of some of the projects that you've worked on. Do people who have great big, huge projects, are those the kinds of people who would call you? Will you actually work on smaller projects? What does the range look like? Yeah, so our company is really set up to take care of any need that you might have. We do um, design, installation, maintenance projects. I mean, as small as like a fertilization program for somebody for a season. So there's nothing that's too big or too small. So, I mean, if you have to do some rearranging of some plant material, we're, we're here to help you with that. And we even get into the commercial market where we're working on large projects for schools and businesses and things like that. So, you know, just just because you don't live on a lake or something like that doesn't (laughs) mean you can't call Landscape Design to help you out. Awesome. Perfect. All right. Let's dig into it a little bit. Talking about outdoor spaces, you and I and Haley, we've kind of gone back and forth in some emails leading up to this. And I know uh, we wanted to get into some key considerations. And in the notes back and forth, you mentioned something that neither Haley nor I had really thought about as a, a key consideration. It was For kind outdoor of outdoor, spaces, right? Yeah. Outdoor lighting, landscape lighting. Let's start with that one. How, how important is that? What options are out there? What do we need to be thinking of, you know, in regards to lighting as we're laying out our spaces? Sure. So landscape lighting is getting to be very popular in West Michigan. It used to be something that you would only see in uh, magazines or if you went to California or Florida or Arizona. Sure. That was the big landscape lighting market just because they have, um, you know, nice weather year round and they can utilize their space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all the catalogs, that's what you see. You see palm trees and cactus and stuff like that. So people here in Michigan are like, well, maybe that doesn't really belong here. But, you know, honestly, in the last five years, landscape lighting here has really started to take off. Um, It's become almost a standard on our projects that we're putting in is to at least run wiring so that later on when people decide to put lights in, the wires are already underground and ready to go. So, yeah, it's getting to be exciting. It's fun. It adds a whole couple more hours to your day. I mean, you can right. go outside with the lights on and man, it really is fun. Creates an ambiance. Really enhances. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> See, it's way different than what I was picturing because I pictured those little solar powered things that you stick in the ground. Like you buy 12 ones. of them for 14 bucks and you stick them in the ground <laughs> along a trail. Way different. That's what you're talking about, right? Yep. Where so this wired. system is actually um, a 12 volt system. So it is low voltage, mm-hmm. but it does run off from the power from the house. You need an electrical outlet to plug into. 
you put a transformer in and that reduces the power from your line voltage down to the 12 volt low voltage stuff that um, powers these lights. And, you know, just because it says low voltage doesn't mean you're not getting a lot of light out of them because they're, they're pretty powerful fixtures and they do a great job. You can light a 30 foot tree with one fixture. So, I mean, wow. it, it really produces a lot of light. So you're seeing all kinds of lighting being used, and you're saying that even if they're not, you know, your customers aren't putting that in, you're still running wires for the future. Yeah, exactly. Like when we put in sidewalks or driveways, we quite often run sleeves underneath there just for the future. You can run irrigation or lighting wires through those sleeves in the future, and then it's ready to go when you're ready to put that system in. So it really helps to kind of plan ahead and have those things organized and ready, even if you're not ready to put it in yet. All right. Now, I'm kind of dumb about the lighting thing, because like I said, I'm not making a joke. Literally, what I pictured was the, the little stake lights right along my path. Describe, you know, what are some of the varied options that you could install in an outdoor space? What does that look like for our listeners? As far as fixtures go, you can have path lights, which are going to light up your sidewalk or your entryway. So, you know, people aren't tripping on your steps or something like that. It kind of guides you into your entry. Mm -hmm. uh, you have up lights, which you put underneath a tree or a shrub, something that you really want to make a focal point. And you cast light up into the branches and the leaves to light that tree up. There's down lights that you can put up into big mature maple trees and shine down onto your pavement. That's kind of a neat effect. They call moonlighting. Okay. Um, not not necessarily the thing that Dan does after hours. But <laughs> this, this is this is kind of creating what the moon does from the tree. So that's kind of a cool effect too. Yeah, that does sound very cool. That's moonlighting. What other things can we do? Yeah, so there's uh, wall washes where you put a light fixture right next to your house wall, and the light actually casts up onto the wall, lights the wall up, and then all of your plant material is actually shadowed from the color of the house being lit up. All right, So, so that's an option as well. You're playing with a lot of shadow and all of that and working that into the design from, from what I'm Absolutely. hearing right now, and that requires yeah. some thought. So you mm -hmm. will help people work through the placement and, and all of that, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yep. And, and really, honestly, when you get started with lighting, you're going to add more to it just because it looks great and it's a lot of fun to do. So um, just plan on, you might put in a system that you start with three lights, mm -hmm. but you're going to end up putting in, you know, 10 to 15 lights eventually. And the nice part about this is you can add on to these systems very easily That's gonna because the that. LED bulbs allow you to put a lot of fixtures on one transformer. Right. Oh, true, because they're not taking much power at all. Exactly. Now, we're on the phone with Kelly Karp from Landscape Design Services. Kelly, we're running out of time on this segment. I've got a couple other things that Haley and I want to ask you. Can you hang with us over the break? Yeah, for sure. That'd be great. All right. We'll be back in just a minute with Kelly Karp from Landscape Design Services talking outdoor spaces. That's just ahead. Stick around. If you want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco Light Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost on News Radio Wood 1300 and 1069 FM. And we're back, and Haley and I are on the phone. We're doing part two of our interview with Kelly Carp from Landscape Design Services. Kelly, 
You hung with us over the break, right? You're still there. <laughs> yeah, we're here. Yeah, we're perfect, here. perfect, perfect. <laughs> so anyway, we were talking about outdoor living spaces and just trying to make the most of what we have outside. And at Landscape Design Services, you will come in and help everybody with really whatever we've got going on out there, yeah, whether it's a small, small maintenance kind of stuff or you know big projects, whatever. You'll help us dream it up and accomplish it. And what we started talking about last segment were some of the things that we can do that are kind of interesting considerations when we're putting together our outdoor living space yeah, and, and lighting. To define it. Yeah, lighting was a big one that not everybody thinks about, but it's really catching on in our area and a lot of cool opportunities with that. Another thing that you mentioned in previous conversations leading up to this interview were paver products. What exactly are you seeing in those regards? So back, um, boy, this is going to date us, but when I started <laughs> doing this 20 years ago, we were putting in, you know, downtown Holland, the stop sign pavers. Um, they were they were very simple. You were doing four by eights, very simple again. But nowadays, we're moving into a lot larger pavers, bigger pieces, heavier products, things that have different textures to the surfaces. So the options to these pavers are getting to be quite amazing. I mean, it's it like picking wallpaper in the house nowadays, there's there's a catalog that's just full of stuff to pick from, which really creates a lot of fun spaces. So talk about a few of those different things. What are some of the favorites that you've got or that you've seen? So the, the now the big thing is modern, clean lines. Mm-hmm. It's um, very smooth surfaces, not a lot of texture to them. Um, they're, some of them are 36-inch squares. I mean, they're, wow. they're just massive pieces. <laughs> that really creates some neat um, paving effects. And then using different paver products together, you don't have to stick with all the same color. You don't have to stick with all the same paver. You can mix them up a little bit, almost doing like uh, paver um, patterns, just just creating different paving options in there with, with a patio. I know inside is kind of popular right now to do the checkerboard, low contrast patterns on floors. Like if you're painting wood floors, we've talked about that before. Mm -hmm. Is that the kind of thing that we're seeing outside with these square pavers then doing kind of the checkerboard patterns or does it expand? Uh, It really does expand. There's not a lot of um, checkerboards unless you're, you know, actually creating a space that you might play outdoor chess or something like that. Oh, see, But a lot of it is where you use big sweeping curves in a driveway or something like that, just to break up so it's not uh, 50 feet of the same paver all the way up to the garage. Oh, okay. It breaks that space up. Maybe you bring your walkway through the driveway and create different effects with those kind of things. Um, using a contrasting color on the soldier edge, that's kind of a cool thing. That's very popular as well. And is that the same kind of philosophy that we would see with patios too? Yeah, that's correct. You're going to use the same kind of ideas with the pa- with the patios. You're going to have uh, different patterns flowing through that. Again, using the soldier edge is a big thing. So yeah, using different pavers to create impact, like a step or something like that, letting you know that the elevation is going to change. That's mm-hmm. a big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just making people aware of their surroundings. All right. Now, are those things that we can do ourselves to some extent, or are they just flat too big to easily haul around? No. Yeah, there's there's different products that you can use. I mean, obviously, you don't have to buy the 36-inch square because only Dan's going to be able to lift that. But, That's right. You know, <laughs> he knows. Goodness. There's, there's everything available. You can, you can get any size product you want. Uh, you just got to look at the catalogs. You know, several of the manufacturers have 
catalogs at the brickyards that you can pick up and peruse through and pick something that you like. I'm always curious about the patio spaces with pavers that have grass in between. Is that a practical thing? Does that actually work? It seems like that would be hard to maintain. Yeah, it really does. Um, a lot of times they use those for driveways. They're called turf grid quite often. Okay. Um, you do have to probably add a little bit more water to those spaces just because the paver gets hot in the driveway. And, um, you know, you need to take care of that turf. Now, the other thing is some of those pictures that you're seeing of that has a synthetic turf in the paver. Mm. So, you know, you have to look at the picture a little close because it it may not actually be real turf. That makes sense. That would be much easier to maintain. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. So pavers, all kinds of options with that. And I guess one of the other things that before we wrap this all up is just talking about, you know, it's all great to create this space. But sometimes, you know, for example, let me take one step back. I enlarged some of the flower beds around my house. Mm -hmm. And I thought this was brilliant (laughs) because it looked so great when I planted it. And then as it started to grow a little bit, it looked really good. And I I really was patting myself on the back until the maintenance kicked in. And I realized now I just resigned myself to spending either huge amounts of my life outdoors taking care of this or I got to just let it go and look like a jungle. Are there only plants for people who've got all the time in the world to deal with them? Or are there things that we can choose that will allow us to enjoy this outdoor space and not just weed it? Yeah, there are great options available for plants that'll take care of those situations. Obviously, it's easier to mow the grass than it is to spread bark. Mm -hmm. Even though you only do the bark once a year, Mm -hmm. um, that gets to be a big task. You have to go through and edge your bed, get the old mulch out and then put new back in, it's going to eat up a Saturday or two to make that happen. Right. But um, the things that we're doing is a lot of mass plantings. If you get a large grouping of daylilies or some alliums, things like that, plants continue to spread and get bigger, and they'll eat up those bark beds. So that's what we do a lot of, uh, utilizing ground covers like um, wild strawberries, uh, geranium, those kind of plants, they'll eat up spaces and you don't have to bark those every year as that bed continues to get older. Um, it really reduces the amount of maintenance that you have to do with that. And perennials are great too because they kind of take care of themselves. They'll die down right. in the winter and come back up in the spring and, and you're good to go again. What are some of the things that you use the most of perennial-wise? I would say uh, perennials, again, are the big color plants, uh, some of the nepetas. The alliums, like I mentioned before, the things that really are going to be a showstopper that give you a lot of impact when you plant them together. Uh, Black-eyed Susans was something that we used a lot of Mm -hmm. years ago. Uh, Those are still popular. Uh, Just be careful with the deer. Just kind of be aware of your uh, environment and what's going on around you. What do you mean, be careful with the deer? (laughs) Yeah, occasionally they'll browse on on the flower and then you're just left with the leaf. Right. You know, just when it gets to be a perfect plant, they come in and take oh. over and harvest. Great, great. That's what we want. Yeah, it's like my garden bed. Yeah. Like as soon as it's ready to pick, something else is already eaten it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so landscape design services, you mentioned at the first segment a lot of different things you do. What kind of stuff are you working on right now? Do you have a couple of, in the last minute that we've got, do you have any projects that you're just really excited to see come together? Yeah, we actually have a couple of them that are a lot of fun. Um, We're doing a lot of fire pits right now. Um, You know, just the outdoor kitchen thing is still a big deal. Mm -hmm. Those are are just fun to be a part of. It takes a lot of work, but they turn out really cool. The the crews of guys that are installing these things 
love what gets produced at the end. I mean, they're taking pictures and showing their friends and families what they're creating at work, and it, it's really a lot of fun, all the way from the design to the implementation of it. So we're, we're excited about a great summer. So if I am interested and I just really have no, no, no idea where to start, does your website give me a lot of visual ideas? How do I get those visual ideas and get started? Yeah, you know, the thing that I ask people to do a lot of when I go out to meet them is just to take pictures of things that they like. They can put it on a Pinterest page or just send emails with photos that they like so that I can get an idea of what they're, lo- what they're thinking. You know, it really helps to be visual. Yes, so communicate those ideas. That, that's what I would start with if you're getting ready to do a project. Obviously, yeah, you can go to our website and take a look at some of the photos of projects that we've done. But, um, yeah, really, it's it's creating your own space is, is never-ending. It can keep going. All right. If our listeners have any questions, Kelly, or want to get a hold of somebody over at Landscape Design Services, how's the best way for them to do that? You can go to our website, which is www.landscapeds.com. You can fill out a form on there to get in touch with us, or you can call the office Monday through Friday. Uh, It's going to be 616-399-1734. That number's available from 7 until 4.30. And through the spring, we're open on Saturdays until noon with that phone number as well. So feel free to give us a call or leave a message. Uh, we'll, We'll be back in touch with you. Excellent. We'll put all of that information in the show notes in case you missed it. You can get that information there. Kelly Karp from Landscape Design Services, thanks so much for being on the phone with us. Guys, thanks a lot. It was a lot of fun. We appreciate it. Now, all right, we're going to take a break. And what I'd like you to do is to scurry to your basement and double check your paint shelf. Chances are yours looks just like mine and it's full of paint that you have no idea when you last used it or if you'll ever even use it again in this house. But none of us really know the best way to get rid of it. Well, once you've seen all of that, come back upstairs and we'll tell you the responsible way to get all of that paint out of your house. That's just ahead. Stick around. If you want to take your DIY skills up a rung, the Repco Light Home Improvement Show is here to give you a boost on News Radio Wood 1300 and 106.9 FM. Well, Haley, spring cleaning is still ongoing, right? I haven't missed it. I would hate to miss spring cleaning. No, it's like your favorite thing, right? It is. I actually do like it. Normally, I do a fair amount over spring break. Mm -hmm. But this year, I phoned it in. Slacked And I relaxed. Spent a lot of time relaxing. I didn't think you were able to have fun. Until... If I wasn't. Well, the house was mostly clean. Okay. So I could still have fun. It's just leftover like junk in the garage and stuff you didn't get to. And I guess I should clarify, when I'm talking about spring cleaning, that is the kind of thing I'm thinking about. I'm looking at my garage. I'm looking at my little shed outside. Basement. There's the basement. Yeah. There's a lot of accumulated things that, that can be things that I'm not sure what to do with. Well, it's amazing how quickly that happens, too. I'm always surprised because it really should be like a yearly thing of going through those places. Yeah, purging those areas. It's crazy how much we accumulate over a year. Well, and some of us don't get rid of it on a regular basis, yeah. so it accumulates over multiple years. Like you're saying, if we did it more regularly. And then you're a hoarder. I, yeah. 
<laughs> I border on that, but it's not my fault because I look at my garage and it is full of stuff, but it's stuff left over from the previous administration. Mm-hmm. They left all of these useful things. Useful things. And that's, I guess, that's really the essence of I the hoarding still thing, use isn't it? This. Yes. <laughs> I can't throw that away. Well, for me, it's I don't know where to go with some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, let's talk about that. And in fact, because this has been so front and center in my mind, I've decided that over the next couple of months or so, you and I, we're going to dig into trying to find all kinds of different places that will help people like us, or more specifically me, get rid of these things. So we're trying to arrange interviews right now. We've got something lined up with Compreneu. Yeah, they'll recycle electronics or, you know, computer parts. They can recycle that stuff, but also, you know, just dispose of it responsibly. Right. And we're trying to find a junk hauling company. And we're asking you for help on this one. We've got a lot of listeners out there in the audience. If you've used a junk hauling service that you really like, email us at radio at repcolite.com and we'll dig into it and maybe we'll interview them on the radio and help other folks out. Yeah. But anyway, today, let's get to what we want to talk about right now, and that's dealing with leftover paint. Because that is another thing that piles up in people's homes. And that's something we can actually do something about. That's something we can do something about. So when we talk about the paint, we're going to break it into two categories. Oil-based and water-based. So water-based being the latex that most of us are using, but oil-based is still probably what you're using on the floor or painting doors with, or maybe it's a varnish. All of that stuff is considered hazardous, which means you can't just dump it down the drain or outside, throw it away. Right. It's got to be disposed of responsibly. Right. Now, fortunately, there are free household hazardous waste disposal sites available to residents of Ottawa County, Kent County, all of those places. And those sites will take back things like the oil-based paint that we were talking about, but also aerosols, pesticides, motor oils, even fire extinguishers. Yeah, all the stuff that you've got sitting in your garage right now, it sounds like. Yeah, for the most part, they'll take a lot of that back. (laughs) What's interesting is that they won't take back things like tires, appliances, they're not going to take that one back, Sure. and latex paint. Right, yeah, that one's not dangerous enough. (laughs) Right. So the good news is we've got an answer for the latex paint. But right now, let's deal with any oil-based paint that you have, the hazardous waste stuff. And if you have things like what we mentioned on that list or things you're just not sure of that you need to dispose of, most likely there's a location right near you. Now, in Ottawa County, there's one in Holland on Quincy Street. There's one on Roger Drive in Jenison. A couple locations in Grand Haven and Coopersville. Kent County has a ton. Grand Rapids, Kentwood, Rockford, Wyoming, and Byron Center. So, yeah, anywhere you're at, there's probably one close by. Now, all of these places have somewhat specific and varied Mm -hmm. hours of operation. They're not the Monday to Friday, 8 to 5 kind of a thing. (laughs) They're special. At all. Yeah, you're going to want to dig into that. And they don't always all take back the exact same things. Yes. Some take back way more. Some take back a little less. All of that you have to do a little bit of research on. Mm -hmm. And we've tried to help by getting some links together. And we put all of those in the show notes that should take you right to the pages. It took us some time to find the right pages. So we can at least save you that time. Head to the show notes at repcolite.com and click those links. And you can at least get straight to the information and start figuring out how's best yeah, Yeah. and where to go with it. Now, let's get to the latex paint. It's something that we all have tons of. We all know it. We've got that shelf in the basement. 
just full of stuff. Or garage or, yeah, wherever. Yeah, and we, we're not sure even sometimes what it is anymore. No, it's paint that's not even in the house anymore. Like, in a lot of you're situations. You're not just saving it for touch-up. This is just junk. <laughs> yeah, it, but we don't know what to do with it. And one of the most common questions we get, I think it's the most common question on our online chat at repcolite.com, is just simply, do you take back latex paint? The answer is yes. The good news is we do. Now, a long time ago, we as a company decided that it was really important for us to be able to handle our product from cradle to grave. We wanted to provide our customers with a resource for getting rid of you know, the paint that they didn't want. Right. And the very best way to, to do that with any kind of product is to reuse it in the purpose or, or the mode that it was meant to be used in in the first place. It's way better to use latex paint as latex paint for putting Imagine it on a that. wall <laughs> than turning it into something else. Way less energy is involved and all of that. Paint so, should be paint. Yeah, paint should be paint. So we created Recoat, Recycled Paint. Some of you may remember it. Had a pretty snazzy label. Somebody pretty smart designed it. Oh, are you patting yourself on the back I right am, now? I am, yeah. I'm hurting my <laughs> elbow because I'm doing it so hard. But um, it was a great product. It was a great idea. It was a great price point. But there were only 20 colors, and it just didn't pan out. No, once you open the box, you can't close it up again. Right. We we opened the box as, a, as an industry by telling everybody that any color, any color. imaginable is what you should look for. Yeah, not when it we, comes to recycled paint, Yeah, though. try to tell them that 20 colors are going to be just perfect for you. <laughs> so Recoat didn't last. We had to close that down. But we maintained the whole part of our business where we take the paint back. Right. And now we're working with another recycler who's, again, turning what, what we get, or at least the, the usable product that we get, into latex paint, recycled paint. So if you have paint, you can bring it in to any of the Repcolite locations. It's $3 per container, and it has to be in the original container so that we can confirm what it is. Um, but other than that, there's really no rules. Right. There's no appointment necessary unless you've got more than 20 containers. Then it, it would be good to just give the store a call and let them know that yes. you're coming. Now, if you don't want to do that, you don't want to bring the paint in and have us either recycle it or responsibly dispose of it, you can dispose of it responsibly on your own. Latex paint is pretty easy to deal with, and it can be thrown out safely as long as it's dry. Yeah, it just has to be like a rock, basically, in that can. Yeah. So a couple of things you can do, you can let it harden in the can, mm -hmm. like you're saying. That's a little trickier. It takes a lot more yes. time. You can pour it into a large, flat, disposable tray just filled with kitty litter or sawdust. Let it dry out. Yep. Put all of that back in the can, and you can toss it safely. You can, like you said, open up the can and let it dry. Couple you of things. Just run the risk of it getting tipped over before it finishes. Well, you've got drying, a cat that you say and... likes to test gravity. Yes, that's what we call it when Burger likes to slowly inch things off the edge until it falls off. He's testing gravity. He's a yeah. scientist. He's a little scientist, <laughs> and you don't want him experimenting on an open can of paint. No. <laughs> Sometimes too, you'll get a real heavy, thick skin in the paint that will dry over, but there's still wet paint underneath. Yeah, kind of you. And that can that can be a little bit of a problem. So we recommend pouring it out into a larger tray, you know, or a plastic more surface box. area. That way, it's going to dry faster. Dry out fast. Clean it up and toss it away. Pretty easy to deal with. Definitely give us a call if you've got product in the basement that you're not sure what to do with. Even if it's oil based, call us and we can at least recommend where you need to go and what you need to do. Now, we're going to wrap this one up, but before we do, we want to mention that we've got a primer sale running right now. 
and it's really, really specific to what what the industry is dealing with right yeah, now. Yeah, there's a lot of product shortages out there because of raw material shortages for a number of reasons. But contractors are out of things that are used on every job, like right. primers, ceiling paints, and a lot of our national competitors are out of that stuff, but we're not. So we've got a sale going. You can find all the information at any Rep Collider Port City paint store. Stop in. We've got product if you need it. Now, that's all the time we've got. We're going to wrap it up. If you want to find this one again, you can find it online at repcolite.com. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and you'll never miss another episode. Whatever you do today, make sure paint's a part of it. All the Repcolite and Port City paint stores are open until 3, waiting to help. I'm Dan Hansen. And I'm Haley Johnson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>